Hi, welcome to the Techman podcast. I'm James Crowter. And I'm Matt Woodhouse. Today we're going to talk about how projects have evolved, especially during the times of COVID, and what's the difference today between perhaps what we were doing two or three years ago in terms of our project delivery. Matt runs our project team, so the ideal person to ask. Matt, how's it evolved? I guess the last 12 months, certainly um, the biggest change has been coming on site. Um, that's you know, pretty obvious as to why due to COVID. Um, it's something, however, that we'd been talking about for probably six, nine, 12 months before that, that the, the cost of going to site, the, the time it takes to go to site, um, can be a bit prohibitive, I think. And I think what, we, what we'd realised is that you know, rather than come to site and spend seven hours discussing topics and, and you know, trying to get value for the customers for that seven hours, what we can actually do remotely is have two hours with the expert in the morning and the customer can get on with their job for the rest of the day, which is always the pressure when you're on site all day. The customer's there, the phone's ringing, they just need to pop out to go and sort an emergency out. If you can break that down into two, three-hour chunks, then it seems to be better for the customer, but also better that we can actually get um, the right person easier for those smaller sessions. So that's probably the first big change. So you're having more people, kind of more people involved in a project as you kind of get the specialist expertise um, dialing? Yeah, absolutely, because we can. It's easier to do that now. You know, we don't have to keep sending a whole busload of people to site. We can actually just have a two, three-hour slot with the manufacturing specialist, with you know the finance specialist, you know we don't have to have somebody that knows everything, which these days is getting pretty much impossible to do everything and know everything end to end. Okay, because that must be getting even worse now with all the add-on products that are available from like the likes of AppSource and so on. I mean, you've got a thousand and how many apps on, up there that you could use? Yeah, I mean, apps is, is, is very much another, you know, the technology is another thing that's changing the way we deliver projects as well. So um, going back three, four years ago, we would be, you know, looking what the gaps are in software. And, and writing you know, a reasonable amount of customization sometimes, and then a select few third-party ISV, so an independent software vendor. Um, nowadays, there's, as you say, there's over a thousand apps there, so it can be uh, something as, uh, as small as capturing and showing a username and a date time that a document was created. Um, there's a free app, there's a free app for that. So, um, you know, I tend to review a lot of the customization requests on projects and I'll go through and say, there's an app for that, there's an app for that, there's an app for that. There's another one that takes the source number on a GL entry and, and puts the name in so you get the customer name and the, and, and the vendor name and, and, and different things like that. So, yeah, customizations that between us we must have done yeah. hundreds of times over the years yeah. are, are just there. Um, you know, and, and, and if they're small, like you say, people don't charge for them. But... I think that also the way that you pay for apps is, is significant, isn't it? Because um, the subscription must have changed things. Yes. I mean, going back traditionally, when we, when we write bespoke software, you, know, you have to, depending on your licensing model, um, you have to buy objects and, and, and obviously pay for the time to develop something. And then you know, you've paid for it, you've got it. Uh, with an app, you pay per month. Sometimes per user, depend. You know, there's different models on third-party apps as to how you pay for them. But potentially, you might install that in your sandbox environment. 
you might say, okay, we think it's okay. We put it in our live environment. Most of them have a trial, right? And most yeah, of them have yeah. 30, 60 day yeah. trial. So you have a chance to try it out before yeah. you start paying for it. I mean, even if you've been through the trial and you think it's right, even if it's six, six months down the line, because it's subscription and you change your mind, you can just stop. So, you know, the, the days of us having to do days and days of kind of, because this add-on, this ISV add-on was going to cost thousands of pounds, we wanted to be absolutely sure it was the right one. We used to sit there for days and days kind of proving that. And then we used to pay a developer for two, three days to integrate it into the system. And, and at that point, everybody was crossing their fingers and going, this really has to work. Yeah. Now it's much more a fluid kind of try, see if it's right. And then if it's not move on to something else. Yeah, I mean, you know, you'd hope normally within the trial period you could understand whether it's right for you or not. But you've got the option of taking it out. But as business processes and requirements change, then, and that's probably more likely that two, three years down the line, the business model's changed a bit. They no longer need that functionality. Now, if that was written in the traditional environment, that would still be in their database. And you'd probably get to the first upgrade and they'll, we don't want to take it out yet. I've spent some hours, days, weeks probably over the years trying to extract stuff from a, from a database and make sure all the ends are tied off so it all still works. Very difficult. Take, taking software out, especially bespoke, can be an awful lot harder in the old um, yes. CAA model than, than taking out an app these days. That spaghetti, you, it, yeah. you know, it was almost like Jenga, wasn't it? You pull it out and hope that the whole tower doesn't collapse. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, so the, the structure of, uh, as you say, a project, you're doing much shorter engagements, um, you know, and, and I think for most of our customer base, obviously, they've already got Business Central. So, you know, um, one of the questions that comes up regularly is, is do you re-implement? Because, you know, is this, is this brave new world worth jumping to with both feet or should you migrate in terms of, uh, of, of move what you've got? Where do you stand on that debate? It depends where you're coming from, is, is the first thing to look at. Um, you know, Business Central 14 is the one bit of software that at the moment gives us some options. Bridges the gap. It does. So if I'm on, let's say, NAV 2016, 2013, I could move to an upgrade in the traditional manner to Business Central 14. And in Business Central 14, I can create the, the new modern way of developing apps, or I can still have CAL, the old classic way of developing, in the same database. So what that means is that whilst I'm sat there on Business Central 14, I can take my time and take out a, a classic CAL development and replace it with an app. Now, that might be writing the app that I had written in CAL, for Business Central or going and taking something off the shelf that already exists or now using the standard product that Microsoft has because you know the product evolves and, and the product is evolving not just annually, not just every six months, but nowadays every month. Every, you, know, you, you look for the new features on, on every month now to see what's in there. 17.1, 17.2 had you know uh, as many new features as 17, I think, in, in, just in the last few months. So yeah, absolutely. It's, it's kind of staying on, staying ahead of it is is quite a task. Yeah. So kind of you know, for people who are looking at that, um, where should they get started? Is it a case of um, you know, re-implement? What, what what if they were to go be brave and go right? I'm gonna 
think about doing this again and doing the project, you know, um, we, that we lasted it eight years ago or something like that and, and then done a couple of mi- minor upgrades since. But if I'm going to be brave and jump straight to SaaS, um, we talked in the last podcast about some of the licensing that enables that. So if I'm going to be brave and go to that, what, you know, is that a project in the, in the traditional sense that the way it looks? It doesn't have to be. Um, you know, you've got time as a benefit that you could fire up your SaaS environment, go and start having a, uh, you know, a play with it, looking at some of the third-party apps out there. What you need to do is go and assess what you've got. Now, if you've got a system which is eight years old and you've got a reasonable amount of customizations in there, you know, I can bet you will no longer need all of those. There will be some that either have been replaced by Microsoft or as a business, you just don't need them. And I think what I, what I see is a lot of businesses first, second time round, you know, they'll, they'll put a lot of customizations in there because you know, they, they want all the sweets from the sweet shop. Um, next time round, you know, there's a lot more tendency to say, well, you know, if there's an app that does it close enough, let's go with that rather than creating something specific. Yeah, and you can always add that last 5-10% customization on top of the app rather than building the whole thing from scratch, which I think is a, is, is a, is a very valid option. And the other thing I think that's, that's, that's worth highlighting is that, you know, uh, the, by far the biggest uh, amount of effort generally on the in- initial implementation goes into data preparation and moving data. How does that work when you re-implement? Generally, it's easier. Um, just because you're going from nav BC to another BC doesn't mean to say it is easier, though. Um, sometimes people want to do a certain amount of cleansing. Uh, and cleansing can be a complex process to go through because when you're bringing over things like opening balances for stock, customer, vendor ledgers, okay, I've flagged that vendor that we don't deal with them anymore and I don't want them in my database, but there's still a balance on there. So we need to bring them across. So getting that bit right can be a little bit tricky sometimes. Um, but you know what I'll probably suggest in that scenario is going you know, on your existing system is using an existing field or just getting a, a custom field added to say, you know, are we keeping this or not? Start the tidy up process now yeah, so that you're yeah. ready for that. Um, yeah. I, I think configuration packages have come in as well over the last kind of four or five years. Depending on the volume of data that you're doing, those work quite well. Yeah, I mean, they, they get to a point and it, and it almost seems to be a curve where when when the, the number of records gets to it, uh, you know, what is it? I don't really know, but, you know, when you're in the tens of thousands, yes. it, it can get a very... I was going to say 10,000. We're on the yeah, same page. Yeah. Um, so in those scenarios, we would typically create something along the lines of an XML port, used to, you know, similar to a data port in the old nav days, where we can actually process that data in a lot quicker. I mean, 10, 15, 20 times quicker in some scenarios. I think the other thing that you have to consider with a re-implementation is that you haven't got the transactional history. You know, bringing that in is just... I know you can bring in opening balances, but you're not going to bring in every transaction that's been there since day one. But you also have the option of, if, if you get onto BC14, um, from BC4 and move to just extension-based, the SaaS migration tool now goes back as far as BC14. So you, know, you won't lose your history in that scenario. So what you're talking about there is you're talking about having your data in your local BC14 on-premise that you've upgraded to, and then effectively it moving up to the SaaS environment transaction by transaction. So every table effectively that matches in the two is copied across? Yeah, 
Uh, and you, you know you can do that as a, a test to begin with. Oh, thank God for that. Yeah. I'm not going to just push the button. And <laughs> no, hope. I wouldn't recommend just pushing it and hoping. Um, you know, early days that was a little ropey. I seem to remember doing it about 32 times for the first customer yeah. we, before we got it right. Yeah, I think if, if it failed, you had, you had to wait 24 hours or something. Start like again, that. Yeah, yes. Um, so that process actually is a lot slicker now. Um, and what it means is that you can, you know, again, if you, if you get the right licensing where you have a SaaS license as well, you know, there's no cost to fire that up, synchronize the data and you know, go and start testing with not only you know, your current data, but all your history as well. So it's a great way to go test, make sure that SaaS environment's ready for you. So those smaller customers you know, with a low number of users and, and perhaps lower transaction count, I mean, that's, that, that's what they should be doing, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, don't forget in the SaaS environment, you don't have uh, SQL licensing, server licensing. You know, you're not paying for upgrades anymore. You know, okay, there's a bit of an overhead to if you have any custom apps to manage those because as Microsoft moves the product on, your custom apps sometimes need to move along with it. So there's a bit of bit of little bit of an overhead there, but nothing like. So you stop paying for that, but you start paying for that a little bit. Um, so you know it, it's just different. It's not necessarily just a complete stop on on, on the one point of view. I, I, I think you know last podcast with Liz, I was talking about this, and we were saying you know for. Uh, some of those simpler, more straightforward, smaller customers to migrate to, to uh, CSP EP, pay the same as what they've always paid, but get this whole new SaaS environment with, as you say, no SQL costs, no server costs, backed up for you, all of all of the benefits of SaaS um, makes total sense for me. Yeah, and, and going back to the what's changed on projects or what is changing, one of the other things that we're starting to see now is, is, is a, a higher use of the power platform. So I know I'm a big, big advocate of the Power Platform, um, but things like Flow or Power Automate, as it's now called, um, Power BI, Power Apps, connecting those up to SaaS is so simple. Um, and, and actually the capability means that you can build things in there without having to go and develop something as well. So you know, it gives you capability. I think there's a whole other podcast topic that yeah. right there we could talk for 20 minutes quite easily on just that one topic alone. So let's talk, let's, um, let's come back to projects. Um, so you know, what, um, you've got a, a, a sizable team of project consultants, you know, how is this whole uh, process of, of projects evolving and kind of COVID and, and work from home, how's that affected them? I mean, a lot of the consultants were home-based anyway, yep. so no change. Uh, you know, they weren't going out to site was the difference. Doing a few less miles. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that, um, you know, I think for everybody though, just generally working from home constantly, there's been times where it's been a bit of a struggle. I think for everybody, just, you know, they, they like to go out and, and meet people. Consultants naturally are people that like to go and talk to people and, and listen to people. So, um, you know, that, that's, that's been a difference. But I think the adoption of using video on Teams meetings, I, I can remember when we first got Teams two odd years ago, we put in a policy that says video has to be on. Uh, and you, at the time, you'd have a meeting with, with a customer and their video wouldn't be on. But nowadays, it's just generally acceptable that people have their video on. 55% of communication is visual, I think, is the old stat. And, yeah. and if you can see their face, you understand whether they've got it or not when you're explaining something. Yeah. So, so, you know, it's obviously it's all moved to video. 
So there's been, there's been a, a, a subtle change there, probably not massive in terms of what the consultants were doing anyway, because they were very much um, home-based anyway. Uh, but certainly the, you know, the, the technology side of it has changed things that, you know. That and actually Teams itself, from what I see, you know, is used more and more on projects. There's now, there's typically a team that, that everybody on the project client side and, and our side is invited to. Files are stored on there. Uh, everything's on there. I, I was on a, uh, a project review last week and, you know, they'd had an open uh, customer had gone live and they'd had an open Teams call for the whole week. Yeah. Just so almost like it was all in the same room as you would be on go live but just happen to be in different places yeah i was i've seen that before just a, almost a constant connection people jump yep. in jump out of it uh, certainly internally our, our use of teams has, has has matured i'd say over the last kind of nine months um you know we used to use sharepoint as our shared repository with customers for files um for you know issues lists change requests etc um, that's now flipped over into Teams. So we, for every project we have for a customer, we'll have a team uh, within there. But you have a file section, and the file section is SharePoint. But what we've now done is created it so that when we create a new team, it actually uses a template for the file section. So the um, the SharePoint site that it's creating in the background actually is templated, so it already has the issues lists, the change request lists, the to-do lists, you name it, that's all pre-built when we create and fire up a team. I mean, I've loved the fact that the, the, the emails related to projects have gone right down because you have a discussion in there and, and you can read back through the discussion and catch up and you're not reading through 72 replies to a reply to a reply to a reply. It, you know, that, that, that works uh, yeah, far I've, better. If, if I've got a, an update from a customer I'll, I'll, you know, on a project, I'll go to that customer's project team I'll go to the chat, I'll put the comment in there and I might mention some people that I want to. Yeah, so, you know, I can just put a comment in there and they'll just get, they'll just, if they go and look, they'll notice that, you know, there's been an update. If I want somebody to, you know, to say, oi, go look at this, I'll mention them and that will then actually flag up to them that there's something that they need to go. So it's improved communication around projects. Yeah, yeah. And and as you say, the history is there and it's all related to that project. You're having chats about that project. Little channel of its own if it's a specialist subject, etc. Yeah, it's not just a list of a thousand emails for every project you're dealing with to go through and work out what's going on. And training. You know, we have a classroom just across the way um, was typically full three, four days a week with people coming in and, and sitting there row by row. You know, we're doing training via Teams as well? Yeah, I mean, training is, um, you know, very much COVID, obviously, because of the social distancing has restricted physically how many people you can get in a room. So and people don't want to travel, etc. Uh, yes, so we, we, we are doing a lot more remote training. You know, in fact, most of it is remote. I think that has some challenges. I, I think it's, um, you know, being there and being able to look over somebody's shoulder, and and you know see if somebody's falling behind a bit it is good. So I could see some you know elements of classroom training coming back, um, but but there's also I think that's going to be balanced with a certain amount of remote training as well. And you know video as well. I think where it's recorded, that's the other thing. So even where we've done it um, in the classroom, I think you know recording what we've done so that somebody who doesn't happen to be there can catch up later, I think it's... it's yeah, video has, has been really useful within Teams, just just recording what you're doing in a meeting. So you know, you've got a history of what we said, oh, yes. which is always useful. Um, but also for, you know, let's say we've built a bit of customization, 
And rather than putting a user manual together, you just jump on, you record the steps, you talk through it, you save it, you put it on the shared customer's team site, and they've got access to it. So if they've got you know, a new starter, in six months' time, they can say, go watch the video. And even if we have, you know, uh, Hammer software is, is, is perfectly right first time, right? So, um, you know, they'll have some feedback. Oh, well, I, I'd really like this field or I'd like that moved around or it would be easier if X, Y, Z. You know, when you get to version two of that software, I guess, re-recording the video, if you've done a whole set of documentation, well, you didn't, did you? You left the documentation until it was finished and then that was too late. The project was, was live and, and actually the... I got around to the documentation too many times. Yeah, I think you know the the key really. I think is is you, know, you don't need to make these things a um, a Hollywood cut. Um, you know, it's just just being actual and talk through what you're doing. If you make a mistake, same as you would in a room. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're in, but there it is. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for filling us in. I hope that's helped you understand a little bit about how the world of dynamics projects is evolving. Um, Talk to you next time. Thank you. Thank you.